so you know, we are still looking for, I believe, one more teacher. Um, actually, one more volunteer. I don't even think they have to be the teacher, just a support person in there. And uh, then we'll be able to open up the third, fourth, and fifth grade class, or fourth and fifth grade class. Um, so if, if you'd be interested in just finding out a little bit more about that, uh, we do a three-month three-month rotation, where you're on for a month and you're off for two months. Um, and if we are able to have one more person, then we'll also be able to open up our fourth and fifth grade class. And so if you have questions about that, you come see me, you come see my wife. She kind of puts together that schedule. Um, there you go. Uh, it is good. It is good to be here. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in First Peter chapter 3. Uh, now, while I was gone, uh, Chris preached... Bobby preached, Ozon preached, uh, and it's awesome. I, I listen to each of their sermons, and it is, it is good to have such men who desire to, to preach God's word, to be a part of the church, and, and to, uh, to stand here before you. And so I was greatly blessed by their preaching, as I'm sure you were also. Now, last week, Bobby preached on... Um, on Philippians chapter 2, and he preached on Christian community. And so what we're going to do is we're going to continue on that theme. And let me just kind of paint the picture of, of where we're going, not just today, but over the next couple of weeks. We're doing community last week and this week uh, in preparation for as table groups get ready to get launched again in September. We're going to then be preaching the next couple of weeks um, on just leadership as we begin talking about elders and deacons and affirmations as we move into September and in November is our annual meeting when we, where we will affirm our elders and deacons or our elders. And um, then after that, I believe we're going to do, uh, it's funny, we're actually, we're going to do a, a sermon on giving. And the reason we're going to do that is because several of you have all come up and said, hey, we haven't heard a sermon on giving lately. And so I was like, well, by all means. Um, but I just think that's funny because most churches are like, oh, the sermon, the pastor always preaches on, or that's, anyways, that's what said. Uh, but it was actually many of you that said, hey, we haven't heard one for a while. And I began looking back through just our text that we've been in, and we, we haven't. And there hasn't been necessarily a clear application of that. And so we want to do that. And then when we begin September 5th or 12th, somewhere right in that period of time, we're going to be jumping back into Hebrews so we can all begin to jump back into Melchizedek because you're all like, oh, we stopped right then. So that's where we'll be. Now you know where we're at, where we're going. Uh, two goals for this morning, as we look at our text, goal number one is that our love for others would greatly be intensified. Like that's that's a goal today, as we look at our text. That God, like when you pour gasoline on already a white hot fire and it rages all the more, I pray that that's what this text does to us. God is working already in incredible ways. There's, there's great unity here, and yet, as we all know, we all have room to continue to grow in Christ-likeness. So as long as there is room to grow in Christ-likeness, there is room for us to grow in our unity and our love for one another. So I pray this text just grows us exponentially in our love for one another in this room, and also those outside this room. Goal number two is that you will desire to be part of a table group. And you'll see as we begin to, to apply the text why that's important. But table groups, if you're new here, is our form of small groups. And we call them table groups because really every important conversation we have seems to involve a table, doesn't it? You're sitting around the coffee table, you're sitting around the dining room table, whenever you have those important conversations. And so we call them table groups. And our table groups, they meet weekly. Um, they discuss the sermon that was previously preached. And, and our goal is to apply the text to each and every one of our lives that we would better just live out the implications of the gospel, the truth of the gospel that we have. And so there are blue cards in front of you in the chairs, and there's a little area to write your name and then check if you'd like to be a part of a table group. Uh, so you can do that. You can place those in the offering boxes in the back. And if you're really techie, if you look at the front page of your worship guide, there's a little QR code down there. If you don't know what a QR code is, don't even worry about it. Um, there's a little QR code. You can scan that, and you can do it all digitally. Uh, 
And so you'll see why as we go through why we believe table groups are helpful for us to live out the very truths that we see in God's word when it comes to how do we love one another and how do we maintain mission as we go outside these walls. Um, If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you stand. One of the things we do here at Timberline is we stand when we read God's word. And the reason we do this is because we believe that this word, that this Bible, all 66 books are inspired by God are inerrant, are infallible, and are given to us for the purpose of equipping us, correcting us, training us for righteousness. And so we're going to be reading 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary... Bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let me pray. Father, Oh God, it is with great joy that we now come before you and sit under your word. And so Lord, I pray that that as we examine your word and as we study it today, that your spirit would work powerfully in our hearts, increasing our desire and our thirst and our understanding to to know your word, and that your spirit would, would drive it deep into our souls and our minds, that we would live out the truths of your text today. God, I pray, give us a greater understanding of your gospel and of why you have called us and how we're called to live. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Um, If we start at verse 9, that's kind of, I want us to zero in on a few words that we have in verse 9. It says, bless, for to this you were called. And so, so I want us to, to focus on those words, and those words are going to kind of drive everything else that we see this morning. Bless, for to this you were called. So there's two things that I want us to see. Number one, that Christians are saved, and secondly, that we are saved to bless others. So first thing we see, Christians are a saved people. When Peter says, for to this you were called, Called means saved. He's referring to our salvation. And as we preach here every single week about the gospel, you know this, I know this, the world's biggest problem is not ultimately COVID. It's not ultimately mask or not mask or vaccinated or not vaccinated or, or even racism or hunger or poverty. Those are great things, but those aren't the ultimate problem. The ultimate problem is sin. That's what we see all throughout God's word. In fact, in the first book of the Bible, when Adam and Eve sinned, we see that not only is humanity, but all creation becomes sinful. It's under the curse of sin. In fact, this is why we see disease. This is why we see natural disasters. This is why there's so much pain in this world. Is because the world has literally been corrupted by sin. And if you read in Romans chapter It talks about how the world itself groans, like like a woman in childbearing, waiting for the day that God will make it new again. And so as humans, to be sinful is to be in rebellion against God's will. Rather than live in accordance to God's will, we seek to do what we want. We seek to make much of ourselves. We seek to satisfy our every lust And what we learn as we go throughout not only God's word, but then throughout our own personal lives is that sin sets us on a hopeless, never-ending quest for satisfaction. And what we know and what we see in Scripture is that sin never delivers. It might satisfy for the moment, but can never give true peace, true comfort, and there's no everlasting satisfaction. And we see this futility all around us. In fact, Hollywood is a great example. 
There we see actors, actresses, they have fame, they have money, they have sex, they have all that the world says is successful, and yet so many are miserable. So many, when we look at their lives, they're, they're in a shamble. And the consequences of sin are, just not, are not just now, but what we see is that they're eternal. Bible tells us that the consequences of sin are eternal, they're everlasting. Just as, just as an anarchist will face a country's wrath, so we face God's eternal wrath for rebelling against his good and perfect will. And that's what we're told is the state of every single person in this world. So our biggest problem is that as sinners, we are under the wrath of God, and there's nothing you and I can do about that. And yet, then we see, through God's word, that God sends his son, Jesus Christ, his perfect son, to come that he would take on flesh, so he would enter this world as a human, like you and I, yet be perfect, so that one day he would go to the cross, where he would bear your sin and my sin, and he would suffer in place of us as our substitute, so that we who believe in him could be forgiven. That's that's what the Bible calls the gospel. That's the good news of, of God, is that God has sent his son Jesus to die for us so we could be saved. And all throughout 1 Peter, Peter is reminding the church, you are saved. That's what he reminds them here when he says, bless, for to this you were called, you are saved. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 23, we read, we have been born again through an imperishable seed, through, through Jesus Christ, we've been born again. Chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, we've been ransomed by the blood of Christ. We've been purchased by God through the blood of Jesus so that we would now be forgiven and be a part of his family. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, we've been born again and given an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance. Been born to this new life in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, this is kind of a a famous quote that many of you are probably familiar with. It says, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. When we are called by God, we are saved by God. We're given this new identity in God that now our lives are lived for God. Amen. That is, that is the gospel. That's what he's reminding the church of. As Christians, we're no longer anarchists. We're no longer rebels. But by God's grace, we're citizens of his kingdom. By his mercy, he's, transform, he's, he's transformed us. By his grace, he declares that you're justified. You're now righteous. That you're forgiven. That you're sanctified. You're set apart to live for God, and that he's adopted us into his family, that's the truth of every single believer. Do you know that? If you're, if you're trusted in Christ, that's the news. That's the gospel. That's what's declared over you, that you are forgiven, justified, sanctified, adopted. I pray that you've trusted that. If you've not trusted in Jesus Christ, and I, Above anything else, my desire is that you would trust in Jesus today as your Lord, as your Savior, that you would believe in him, that you would know there's no other means of forgiveness apart from the life of Jesus Christ. And unlike sin, God is the one who fully satisfies our soul and gives us great joy, which hopefully, um, it's even a short passage, but I don't know if we're going to get through it all today, so we're going to see what we can do. I don't know if it's because, you know, I haven't preached for a while, but there's a lot to say, and so, but we'll, we'll just get through what we get through. Um, so look, look, look back at verse 9 now. When you're saying, okay, so we're, we're saved. To be called is to be saved, but the question is, what are we saved for? And we see that Christians are saved to live in a very particular way, and we say, well, what is this particular way? Look at verse 9. It says, bless, for this is why you're called. You were called to bless. That's what we see. You cannot miss this. If you're a believer, you are called to bless others. In verse 8, he describes how we bless those in the church. In verse 9, specifically how we address those outside the church, unbelievers. 
Now, before we examine what it is to bless others, I just want us to, to kind of grasp the context of 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter calls the church exiles. All through the letter, we see that the church is persecuted for their faith. Now, possibly, they're being physically persecuted. Like if you look at chapter 2, verse 20, we see that very likely servants are being beaten by their masters, Christian servants, and they're being beaten because they're Christians. But it is clear that Christians are being slandered, reviled, neglected, and taken advantage of and gossiped against. We read that like in chapter 3, verse 16. We read, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So we see Christians are slandered. Chapter 4, verse 4, we read, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. Remember, we're saved now, so now we live differently. We don't live as we did when we're unbelievers, and now they're surprised we don't join them in the very things we used to do. And so it says, and they malign you. To be maligned is to charge falsely, to maliciously attack others. So that's what's happening to these Christians. They're being slandered. They're being gospeled. They're being reviled against, maligned against. And what we understand when we look at God's word is that when God saves us, he saves us from being a citizen of the world so that we would have a new citizenship in his kingdom. That's why the world's against us. That's why the world does not love Christians. It's because we have a different citizenship, a different king, a different God. Like in, in John chapter 15, Jesus tells the disciples, he says this, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as you own. Do you get that? If you're of the world. If you're not a believer of Jesus Christ, the world loves you. The world accepts you. But he says, if you're of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why does the world hate you? Because God has chosen us out of the world. By grace, he has saved us. As Christians, this means our status in the world is exile, sojourner, missionary, alien. That's who we are. We need to know that. We need to understand that. If we don't get that, we don't understand the very implications and the commands that God is giving us in his word. And so as we now move into the text where he's saying you're to bless those not only inside the church, but especially those outside who persecute you, the point Peter is telling us is that He's not calling the church to bless others from a position of social, political, or physical superiority. We don't bless from a position of strength. Rather, we bless from a position of humility and lowliness. That's what he's wanting us to see. We're citizens of God's kingdom, and now by our words and our actions, we show the love of Christ to this world. And so what we're going to do is we're going to turn first and look at how we bless those in the church. And then we're going to look at verse 9, how we bless those outside the church. So bless those in the church. Verse 8, Peter gives five descriptions of Christian conduct. Unity of mind. There's a harmony with one another. We have a shared mindset. We know that we've been saved by one God, one faith one baptism, one Jesus Christ. We have a unity that holds us together apart from everything else. We might differ on our favorite sport. I like golf a lot. It's okay. You can like it too. I like mountain biking, doing things like that. But if you don't like those, guess what? doesn't matter because Christ, the unity that we have in him, supersedes all other positions. We have unity of mind. We have this harmony. We have sympathy. We feel what others feel. You hurt, I hurt. You weep, I weep. You laugh, I laugh. That we, we, we love one another. We feel what others love because we, we love them. We have brotherly love. We are family. 
One of the key things to understand is when, when God saves us and brings us into his kingdom, we don't just have a citizenship in God's kingdom, but we become brothers and sisters with all the other citizens of the kingdom. Jesus is our elder brother, and the God is our father. We're brought into an everlasting family. And now we have the opportunity that every time we gather, we show family love. And the way that family love is defined is through Jesus Christ. Number four, it says we have a tender heart. This, this actually refers to our very inner being. Like I don't just act tender, but from the very inside of my soul and my heart, a desire to be tender to others and the church. And we have a humble mind. Again, this is the state of our being. We're not proud. But we look to encourage others. We look to count others more important than ourselves. This is a description of the church. This ought to describe every single time we gather. When we gather on a Sunday morning, when we gather at a table group, an elders meeting, a potluck, a Bible study, a business meeting, wherever we gather, these Five qualities describe the way that we love one another. Men, you got to get, this is how we love our families. This is how we love our families. This is how we love the church. Our mindset is one of love and gentleness. We gather to serve and make much of others. We gather to encourage those who are hurting. We gather to lift up the broken. We gather so that, we, so that the love of Christ would be displayed in every conversation that we have, even when we disagree with one another. I just want to, I just want to ask you, is that your mindset? Do you know this? Are you striving for this? When these five qualities are present, sin, division, gossip, they can't happen. It's like, it's like you take one of those fire blankets and you put it over the fire and it puts it out and removes all the oxygen so the fire can't survive. That's what these things do to sin when we gather. When these are our goals, we're not going to have division among us. We won't gossip about one another. Why? Because we're truly loving one another and we're seeking to make much of others. Now last week, Bobby preached on Philippians chapter 2. And who shaves, his, who shaves their beard? <laughs> like he had like an epic beard. Like Jonathan, if you saw him, he was up here. He's leaning downstairs. He's, he's doing good now. But I mean, Bobby had a beard and he shaved it and gave it to his wife in a box. <laughs> like I was disturbed. I hope somebody, like, corrected him for that, like, <clears throat> anyways, uh, if you guys know Bobby, Bobby's, um, he's part of a sister church down in Portland, uh, men, most of you will know him, we went to uh, man camp together, their church joins us, we've done lots of things, it's his fault, we don't podcast, um, so, anyways, I think I've gotten all my little jabs in on him right now, I'm not sure if that's what I'm supposed to do when I preach, um, but I did it in brotherly love, so it's okay, right? Um, all right, but he preached on Philippians 2. And that's just such a good passage. I love that passage. And he preached like Philippians 2, 3. We do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility we count others more significant than ourselves. Do you see like what we just read in Peter? Like that's literally what... Bobby preached last week in Philippians. This is why all of God's word, it complements one another. I might just say it a little bit differently, but as Bobby preached, he was saying, we don't gather to make much of, of ourselves. We're not gathering to puff up ourselves or so that we're recognized. We don't vie for positions of authority so people look to us. The church is not about becoming like us. We gather so we help one another become more like Christ. That's our goal. So like this morning, even, even during that fellowship time, as we move across the aisles and do all that, all of that is just to sample the love that we have for one another. It's just to give just a little bit of the taste of saying, we love you and we care for you. 
If we kept reading in Philippians, as, as Bobby did last week, we'd read, have this mind among yourselves. So he's saying, this is the mindset that we're to have, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When, when Peter gives these five qualities, he's describing the mind of Christ. He's unpacking it just slightly different, with slightly different words than what Paul does in Philippians 2. But ultimately, he's saying, live like Christ. Now, let me give just a little bit of application. This is why we do table groups. To some extent, Right now, to some extent, we can display unity and sympathy and brotherly love and a tender heart and humility in a large gathering like this. To some extent, we can. But table groups provide a smaller context where we can truly get to know one another. Table groups is where we get to hear each other's stories, our pains, our needs. It's where we can actively pray for one another and serve one another. Because as, as we've talked about church, as we gather, it's we don't come so we just blend in. We don't come so we, we're not noticed. Church is about how we gather for the purpose of spurring one another on our love for Christ, to grow in our understanding of the gospel. And table groups just provide, it's just a vehicle. You don't read about table groups in the Bible. The word doesn't exist, but it's a vehicle to help us live out the very truths that we have in God's word in a very tangible way. So someone says, hey, how are you loving other Christians? Well, I go to church on Sunday. That's awesome. And you might serve as an usher, deacon. You might, you might do many, many things. What does that look like Monday through Saturday? Table groups just simply gives a way for us to get to know people at a more intimate level, for us to be known, for us to walk alongside with other Christians, for us to help wrestle with doubts and fears and pains and struggles, to minister to each other when we're sick, to encourage each other when we're hurting, to cry with each other when we're sad, to laugh with each other and rejoice with each other when we're happy, to support one another physically, financially, emotionally, and in all those ways. That's just what typically, so it just helps us live out the very truths that we have in God's word. So I just ask you, just fill out the card. You'll be contacted. You'll get more information. But we're, we're intentional here. We want to make sure that every person, every Christian, every member here is intimately involved with other members for the purpose of encouraging them, spurring them on, and being encouraged ourselves. Because there is no Lone Ranger Christianity. You think you're strong, and if you think you're strong, you do it your own, then you're actually missing the whole point of why we're saved by grace. Because we need grace. And God now uses not only his word, but he uses his spirit through his word and through others to strengthen you and to encourage you. And table groups is just a way to do that. Verse 9, Peter is going to move from talking about how we bless those in the church to how we bless those outside the church. And, and he just moves seamlessly all the way from, from talking about in the church. And we know he's talking about in the church because he's talking about brotherly love and unity of mind and this harmony. And, and as believers, we're not going to have that with an unbeliever. But then he, he moves to unbelievers where he's talking about persecuting and reviling. And that's a little bit of homework for you. Go read Romans. No, this is homework, so you've got to write it down. D did we put it in the bulletin, Romans 12, 19? I'm not sure. So write down Romans 12, 9 through 21. It's a little lengthier than our passage, but Paul does the exact same thing. He talks about how we love the church, and then there's seamlessly, I think it's like verse 14, where he says, and bless those who persecute you, and then he goes on and talks about how we love those outside the church when they press on us. So that's a little homework. I haven't given you homework for a while. Romans 12, 9 through 20. 21, 9 to the end of the chapter, whatever it is. 
So let's look at how we bless those outside the church. Verse 9, we read, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Now, evil can be in a multitude of ways. It could be mainly a verbal thing or it could be physical. To revile someone is to speak in a highly insulting way. And that seems to be a dominant way that Peter is describing the church. Like when we looked earlier at chapter 4 that the world is maligning Christians now. We're verbally assaulting them because they're not partaking of the things that we do. So it seems that the primary way is probably verbal and emotional. However, certainly there was definitely physical persecution at this time also. Now remember, the church is not at a place of political, social, or physical superiority. The church is in a state of persecution. and Largely throughout church history, we see that this is the position of the church. Majority of countries today, the church does not have a place of prominence. In fact, here in America, we have seen the church move from a place of prominence to now a place where it is considered largely irrelevant by society. So how do we respond to persecution, to maligning, to slander, to physical persecution? How do we respond when the world looks down upon us? How do we respond when we get Push, and I don't mean just physical, but push verbally. What do we do when our voice is silenced? One word, Peter says, bless. He says, bless. Paul says the same thing in Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. We do good. Rather than push back, we seek to serve. We do not fight for pride and position. Rather, we humbly serve and do good for others. To, to others. Now, I'm not saying that there's no room for, for religious rights and to advocate for those kind of things. There's things like that, but largely, Peter's point is that the gospel does not advance in this world by physical force, but by grace and kindness. It advances as we bless others. Now, you might say, wait a minute. Are we supposed to just be a doormat? Are we just to let the world walk all over us? Because that's sometimes how it gets communicated, or, or at least I think that's how we process it, and that's how we want to think about it, that if we're not actively you know, resisting, then we must just be laying down in a doormat. And I would say, no, not at all. A doormat is passive. A doormat has no ability to respond. We do respond. In fact, we actively willingly and joyfully respond with the mind of Christ and we bless those who look down upon us. It has nothing to do with the doormat. We're not passive. We're very active and the way we respond is with grace, is with kindness. You say, well, how are we to do that? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, we read this. For to this you've been called. So just like here, we've been called to bless now, earlier in chapter 2, he's going to say, you've also been called for this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So as we're pressed, he's saying, you need to look at Christ. What did Christ do? Because Christ set you an example. So however Christ responded is now how we will respond. So what did he do? He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him <clears throat> who judges justly. Jesus did not take matters into his own hands and physically try to fight back. Rather, he trusted himself to God who judges and he served and he blessed others. If anyone had the right to push back, it would be Jesus, right? Like if anyone did. Like because we can all say that we're, we're slandered or, or maligned against or, or physically persecuted against unjustly. We, we could say that. But also, we all know that none of us is perfect. We've all sinned. No one here has, has a righteous you know, pedigree. We've all messed up. And yet Jesus was absolutely perfect. And yet he willingly laid down his life for us. 
And Romans says, when we were his enemies, when we hated him, he demonstrated love that would sacrifice himself so that we could be saved and become like him. The Christian life, we have to understand, is one of suffering. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Do you see those words, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking? What's he telling us to do? Blessing others when we, su- when we suffer, when we're persecuted, when we're pushed, is not being a doormat that misses the point. Arming ourselves is how we fight with grace and mercy and Christ-likeness. To do that is not to be feeble. To do that is not weak. To arm yourselves with grace and mercy when you're being pressed is to respond in the very way that Christ did. It's how we bless the world. It's how we show the world Jesus. Listen, it's easy to push back when you're pushed, right? It's easy to hit when you're hit. Any schoolyard bully with no sense can do that, right? Anyone can do that. It takes grace and the very power of God to love those who persecute you. And so this thing that he's calling us to do, this blessing others, is not an act of our will. Remember, God has called us to do this, and therefore if he's called us to do this, he's given us his spirit to live within us, to strengthen us, that we would be able to do this. So if you're sitting here going, there's no way. You're right, there's no way in your strength, in your power, and in your might. But by God's grace, this is how we live because he's called us to live this way. In fact, as I was studying, um, I came across in one of my commentaries, there was a, a story of a Christian soldier who lived in the barracks. And it talked about how each night he would read the Bible um, before going to bed. And there was a, another guy across across the room, who, who made fun of him every night, every night for reading the Bible, and just made fun of the Bible, and, and said how ridiculous it was that he would spend time in reading it, and how it had no benefit at all, and so one night, he actually threw his muddy boots at the guy as he was reading the Bible, and the guy woke up the next day, and his boots were shined in place at the foot of his bed, and, and at some point later, not only him, But other men in those barracks all came to know Christ because of this man continuing to love and bless those who persecute him. Because it's it's when the world presses hard and that we love as Christ that his love shines brightly in this world. Think about it. Our salvation comes from a man who was crucified. The gospel in the first century, it was spread by unlikely people uneducated tax collectors and fishermen. God transformed Paul. Paul was a murderer and a persecutor of the church. God transforms him that he'd be a planter of churches and wrote most of the New Testament. All throughout church history, we see it's the blood of martyrs that often propels the kingdom of God on throughout this world. God advances his kingdom through this world by his means, not our means. God doesn't need our strength and our power to advance his purposes. He uses humility and weakness because when we're humble and weak, we trust in him and he receives all the glory. In 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, we read this in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Gentiles just as a way to referring unbelievers. Here's the reason. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, there's a lot he doesn't say right there, but if they're seeing your good deeds and they've reviled you, they see your good deeds, and then later they're glorifying God on the day of visitation, what's happened? They came to know Christ. Why? Because believers, when they were pressed, revealed the love of Christ. They blessed in return, not just with actions, but with words. They heard the gospel. They trusted in Jesus. And now when God returns, they glorify God. That's what happens when we bless others. So how does table groups play into that? Um, Table groups is simply a way to help us to remember the mission. It's a way for us to encourage one another to love those who are outside the church. Because I don't know about you, 
But if you've, if you've intently tried to share the gospel at work or in your neighborhood, you often run into people who like to discredit Christianity. You often run into people who can be quite hostile just verbally or, or people who have very different worldviews and think that Christianity is ridiculous. And so the, they have no problem speaking down about it. About it. They have no problem talking about how ridiculous it is to gather in the church and why they don't agree with that. And if we're not careful, we can become callous. And if we're not careful, we become discouraged. And if we're not careful, we begin thinking, well, maybe, maybe I don't need to share the gospel. Maybe that's just for this person or this person over there. So table groups is a means on a weekly basis for us to join with others, to pray for unbelievers, to pray for ourselves that we would have boldness, to encourage one another, to spur one another on, that we would trust in God and his strength so that as we return kindness to evil, I think I said that right, when we respond in kindness, that God would use that as a means of saving others. I encourage you to be a part of table groups. Um, I think we can make it through our last section. If you start looking at the last part of verse 9 now. See, we've only gotten through two verses. Isn't this good? You're like, oh, man, 10, 11, 12. Um, verse 9 says, bless, for to this you were called. We're called to bless. That's purpose behind our calling. And then we read, that you may obtain a blessing. So Christians bless others for their own joy. So you may have been saved, or you've been saved that you would live like Jesus, bless others, especially those outside the church, especially those who revile Christianity. This isn't optional. This is the purpose of the Christian life. You have been saved to bless others. Loving others in and outside the church is the very evidence of your salvation. But we don't do this out of mere obligation. Peter's giving us motivation now. And he wants us to know it's for your good. Bless others. You'll receive a blessing. Now, commentators are split. They often are. You grab a couple commentaries and they're like, oh, it could mean this, could mean this. So some guys are like, well, he's referring to the blessing now, like in this day and age. And others are like, no, he's referring to when Christ returns. Both can make great cases, and I would say yes to both of them. We bless others so that we'll be blessed not only now, but yes, also ultimately at the return of Jesus Christ. Because what we read is in verses 10 through 12, he actually quotes Psalm 34. And that's a, a great psalm which we don't have time to go all into. But we see in that psalm that in Psalm 34, 8, the psalmist will say, Taste and see that the Lord is good. So as we respond and bless those who are around us, we will taste and see that the Lord is good now. And Psalm 34 also speaks of the day that Christ returns. And ultimately, all those who have rejected God will be punished and we will forever experience his goodness in the new heavens, new earth. And that's how Peter will explain it too. He'll talk about how we experience blessing now, but then ultimately how we experience a far greater blessing as we forever dwell in the very presence of God. And if we look at verse 12, he says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Here's the reason you know we're going to grow in joy. Because God hears you, he sees you, he's with you, and he answers your prayers. It's all based upon the character of God. He says, bless others, for this you've been called, that you might be blessed. And then he bases the whole argument because God sees you, he's with you, and when you pray, he will answer you. Do you know that? You need strength to stand firm. You need strength to be able to love your neighbor, to love those in the church, to have humility, to not push back, but to love and to serve. And we're told every single time we pray, God is with us, sees us, hears us, and answers us. Isn't that good news? That's how we experience the joy. Because God promises, I am with you 
at every moment of the day. And when you need grace, I will pour more grace upon your life. And you will experience that joy now and forever. As I was thinking about this, um, I thought about, uh, I just thought about my mom. My mom was one. And many of you, many of you met my mom. She passed away uh, this last year during COVID. And she had a love for people. And if you knew her, you, you know that because you were like, man, your mom just loves people. And she did. She grew in her love for Christ. And as she did that, she continued to love people. She would gather every single Sunday morning with the church. She would show up early and stay late. She would walk the aisles. She, she was a part of a big church, so she just kind of chose a section. Um, but she would go up and down that section into every row and to meet every single person every single week to bless them. Why? Because of what we read in First Peter. We're called to now love others in the church and to bless them. And so God was moving in her as he does in every single one of us that, he would, that she would love those and display the love of Christ. And I want to encourage you. We are called to show up early and stay late every time we gather. As much as we can. I know there's extenuating circumstances at the time. But we don't gather for ourselves only. We gather to help others. We gather to bless others. We gather to help strengthen and encourage others. But what I noticed about my mom also is that she also continued to grow in her love for those outside the church as well. She would go on a walk every morning around her neighborhood, and she would meet every single neighbor, and she would talk to them. And she wasn't like one of those like evangelists who could just easily just give the gospel like right away. Um, my grandpa, her dad was, like you sit next to him, and in like 30 seconds, he's talking to you about the gospel. Like, I love those people. I want, I, I want to be more and more like that every time. And yeah, I'm like, how do they do that so well? Um, but my mom, she would, she would develop these relationships, and she shared the gospel with them. She would invite them to church. Many of them came to church. Many of them came to her house for Bible studies. All of that came because of what God was working through her. And she was just a picture of what God does in every single one of us. And what I noticed is that as she continued to love others, she grew in her joy now. To the degree that we bless others and to love others is to the degree that we will experience joy now. Do you know that? And, and, and you know this is true. Because we know that there are people who are a part of the church, who love minimally, and you can tell they love minimally because they have minimum joy. Do you know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, yep, that's me. Some of you are like, yep, that's this guy, that's this person. Like, you know that. There are people when you're in the church and you're like, man, what is wrong? Every time I'm with them, they're always unloading. Problem, problem, problem. And it's okay. We want to be a place where we share. We want to be. But we ought to be a people who are growing in our joy. Because what we read in the text is that we've been called to bless and we will be blessed as we do so. Now and especially in fullness when Christ returns. And what I have seen, and you can, you can see it. Chris Gorman is a great example. When he's here, he just loves people. Love of Christ flows from When Ozan is here, he loves people. When, when Bobby's here, he just loves people. You're with these people and you're like, man. They just, like, they just love, like, just, they exude the love of Christ. Why? Because they're regularly practicing. How do I love others? How do I minister to others? We have others in here. Donna Hatfield is an amazing example. Rose Wilson is a great example. We can list many people, great people who just love others. Those aren't a special breed of Christians. You realize that? Like, I hope you know that. We're all to grow in our love for others. And we do that as we obey his word and trust in his grace each and every day. I want you to think of like a candle compared to a sun. A candle has light and heat, right? But a sun has infinitely more light and heat. And so to whatever degree we have a love for others and God, now as we continue uh, in this life, and eventually are brought into the very presence of God, we will experience his love 
all the more, like a candle compared to the sun, we will experience the full light and heat and blessing of God for all of eternity. So however joyful we are now, we will be far more joyful as we are perfectly made in the very presence of God for all of eternity. That's the hope that's set before us. That's why we love when we're pushed. That's why we bless others when persecuted, because we know the joy set before us. Yes, we will continue to grow in joy now, Oh, but nothing compares to that infinite joy that we have in Jesus for all of eternity. And so table groups, just one more time. So I just keep bringing it up. It's a way. It's a means to remind ourselves of the far greater joy set before us. It's, it's having a group of people around you who continue lifts our eyes from the here and now and points us to eternity and says, that's your home. You're, a, you're an alien now. You're an exile now. You're a sojourner now. We trust in God's grace now because of the great hope and joy we have set before us. That's what Table Group says. It regularly lifts our eyes, helps us remember the mission, helps us remember the very glory of God, why we've been called, what we're called to do, so that we continue to bless others in and outside the church. I'm going to pray, and our ushers are going to, to dismiss you row by row to take communion, and they'll also take communion over into the side room. Uh, it's a little bit different. Uh, apparently, we didn't have enough communion cups today uh, to double stack, so you're not going to grab a... You'll figure it out. If you, if you have questions, Raymond will help you. you. Can you do that? You good? All right. Let me pray. Father, Father, you're good. You're so, so good. By grace, you've saved us. You saved us through the suffering of your son, Jesus. And now, you use weakness. You use even our suffering as the means to continually advance the gospel in this world that you would be glorified. That this world would not be attracted to man, but they'd be attracted to you. That they would see your power and your grace and your strength. And I just pray that we as a church will grow in our likeness of your son, Jesus. That we will bless those, that we will intently and actively seek to bless others in the church on a regular basis. And we will regularly seek to bless those outside the church. We will place ourselves in situations where we might be taken advantage of and we're okay with that because we simply just want to love others and we trust that you use our words and our actions for the advancement of your gospel and there will be more and more people on that day when your son returns who will glorify you because of how you've used our lives. God, we just ask that you would save others through us. May we be living sacrifices for you. May our every thought, our every action, our every desire be for your glory. Bless communion now. May as we partake of communion, may we remember with such vivid detail that the reason we are saved is through suffering. Suffering is not weak, but is an incredibly powerful way in which you work in this world. And may we glorify you as we take this communion this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen.